So we're going to take a little break from uh, the, the kind of the hall of faith. We're going to jump into uh, Ecclesiastes, and we're going to attempt to do chapter one and two, maybe three. We'll see how much time uh, I have left. But um, great book, wonderful book, hard book to understand at times, but uh, I, think we'll, I think we'll enjoy it. Um, it's more of a New Year's message. I want to give us a New Year's perspective. I want to kind of set the foundation where, where we have just a different perspective. So when what we typically do at New Year's is we make resolutions, right? We set goals, and we, and we kind of renew uh, broken promises. Um, New Year's uh, resolutions are usually forgotten or rotten by the time you get to them at the end of the year, right? I know mine are. And uh, I want to look tonight at uh, just kind of a new perspective. Before you make all those resolution, resolutions and goals, we're going to look through the lens of um, King Solomon. And, uh, and we're going to look at this book. Um, the book may get a little bit depressing, but um, thank you that we have Jesus to bring it to life. Um, but the the book is it's a it's poetry. It's one of the po- it's one of the books of poetry. We have Psalms, we have Proverbs, uh, we have Song of Songs, we have Ecclesiastes. These are these these books. Um, we have Ecclesiastes means assembly or congregation. So they're called the called out ones. That's you guys. We're the called out ones. Now what happened with Solomon? He was the king of Israel. And he probably had, between servants and family members, about 14,000 in his kind of palace and just his surrounding area. Can you imagine? We're going to talk a little bit about that, how he fed them, (laughs) 14,000. So um, does anyone like bittersweet chocolate? There you go, bittersweet chocolate. Does anyone like blues music? Yeah, Jason likes it. Does anyone like sappy chick flick movies with like lots of crying? Yeah, we got some we got some more that we got some more hands. Yeah, does anyone like beatnik poetry? <laughs> you do. Okay. So the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of, if you like all those things, you'll like this book. If you like beatnik poetry, if you like bittersweet chocolate, it is bittersweet. This book is bittersweet. There's some really bitter parts, and there's some really sweet parts. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that. As I said, the author is Solomon, uh, that we believe. There are some people that doubt that Solomon wrote this because he was in such a depressed and despair state that when he wrote the book it just seemed off color have you guys ever written an email or a text that you just like you regret sending or you were just bummed out and when you send it and they're like who is this person have you ever done that i have i've sent how are you written a letter that you just you know i probably shouldn't have wrote that and sent that (laughs) i think we're gonna look at solomon's journal and we're gonna we're gonna sneak peek to see uh, what what he's doing. Uh, when he wrote this, um, we believe not only was he bummed out, but he was in a backslidden state. 
you know, do you, does anyone know what it likes to be backslidden? I backslid for like 10 years. It's the most miserable state to be in, especially if you know God. Especially if you know God. Why? Because God is chastening you, right? He's trying to bring you back from that backslidden time. He's, you're, the, you're, the, you're the 100th sheep, right? He leaves the 99 to go after that one. And he sometimes has to break your legs, carry you on the shoulders, and bring you back. So I, I did that. I, I did that for 10 years. I was in a backslidden state, and it's not a good place to be. We know that Solomon was the third king of Israel. We had Saul, then we had his father David, and then Solomon. And then he had a really kind of obnoxious brother who tried to take the kingdom away from him. His name is Adonijah. He tried taking the kingdom right from right in the very beginning. When, when David was kind of ill and kind of old in age, this, this, uh, this terrible sibling tried to just kind of sweep the kingdom out. And uh, luckily, there were some godly men and godly women on the scene to stop that, and Solomon becomes king. Um, Solomon started off really well. He did. In 1 Kings chapter 3, God visits him in a dream, and he says, Solomon, what would you like? Oh, he, God is looking to make Solomon successful. He said, what do you like? And Solomon said, Lord, I, I want wisdom so that I can rule your people. I mean, Solomon could have asked for anything. But you know what God did? He gave, not only did he give him wisdom, he gave him wealth and riches and resources, more and more abundant than any king in history. Over the years, Solomon got distracted. That's why he fell into this backslidden state, mainly because of his many wives. He had up to 700 wives and 300 concubines. I have one wife, and uh, it's hard to just compete with that. Can you imagine 700? She's here tonight, so I can talk about her. Um, But three, I mean, can you imagine that? And so these wives, some of them were strategic. They were these geopolitical moves where Solomon would gather the... It was his way of creating peace in this region because his dad, David, was just a man of war. Two different types of guys. David was this man of war. He was a warrior. He would go after um, nations that, um, that tried to harm... Uh, God's people. He kept peace by, by war. Uh, we know a lot about David. Solomon did it through negotiations. He was, he was a very wise king, and so he, what he did is he would create these alliances with different nations, surrounding nations, by marrying their daughters, and that's how that's how he did it. Um. You know, it, it's not the best way to do things, for sure. I mean, it, it put him into a tailspin because these wives would practice uh, idolatry. They would practice all kinds of um, crazy religions. Um, but it's, it's what caused him to compromise. It's what, it, what caused him to go where he's at. 
So he, um, again, this man, the perspective of this man is that he is in a backslidden state, and we're going to be reading from, from a backslidden state. Um, let me, let me, let's, uh, let's read, turn to Ecclesiastes. We're going to start in chapter 1. Let me read the first couple verses, and then we'll pray. It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity, vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Lord, we, um, as we join you in this new year, Lord, I, I pray, God, as we dive in and we look at the perspective of Solomon, that, Lord, you would give us perspective, you would give us revelation and, Lord, that you would ultimately change our ways. Uh, Lord, New Year's always seems to me like a crossroad. I, I can make many decisions. I can set goals and resolutions. Um, but, Lord, we want to do that uh, with your heart in mind. So, Lord, as we look at Solomon and as he looks at his at life, and he says it's van- vanity, just, just meaningless, And yet, Lord, we look at, from your perspective, life is not meaningless. Lord, it has purpose, and you've given us, as your children, as kids of the king, so to speak, you've given us beautiful privileges that we can walk in, Lord, that we can live in. And Lord, would you show us tonight um, how we can learn um, from the folly of Solomon, that we can learn from maybe some of his successes, Lord. Um, We want to see your heart in this, Lord, as you guide and direct our lives in 2017. Lord, would you, for some, uh, reignite the fire? Lord, would you replenish those things that have been empty, Lord? Um, Show us, Lord, um, what you would have uh, individually and then corporately as a church, Lord. Lord, we lift up um, Pastor John's dad to you. I know he he walked into heaven, Lord. He's with you. We thank you for that, Lord. We rejoice. But, Lord, uh, with that, um, death itself is bittersweet. And, um, Lord, we lift up John's family to you, Lord, as they uh, are feeling the pain of loss. Lord, would you comfort them? Would you give them peace? We lift up our pastor and, uh, and Pastor Rob and Michelle to you, Lord, as they are vacationing. Lord, would you, together, would you bless their marriage, their union, Lord. I pray this would be a great time of refreshing and it would be a great time of um, them ministering to one another. And so, Lord, we, um, we thank you. Thank you for your word that lives and breathes through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, that word vanity of vanities uh, is used several times. We'll see this. Uh, another term, another phrase that we're going to see in this book is under the sun. It's used 29 times, under the sun. So under the sun really represents things of the earth. They're earthly things. And you're, we're going to see this tug of war with Solomon. We're going to see him um, calling out things under the sun. And then really... He's going to be looking at the, not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N, the Son of God. And, and I want us to, to look through that and go, 
are we living under the S-U-N or are we living under and in the S-O-N, the Son of God, Jesus? And so we'll look at that today. Interesting um, enough, um, the word Lord is not used in this book. The word, and, and that's in Hebrew, Yahweh or Jehovah, which is a covenantal name. Um, the, the name that they use is uh, Elohim. So Solomon used this generic word for God, which is Elohim. And it, it just, again, it, it goes to that state that he's in, that backslidden state uh, where he's at. Uh, remember the parable of the sower when Jesus was throwing out seed, the parable of the sower, and they had these four soils. One seed fell on the, rock, or, or the hard soil and the birds plucked it away. And then there was another soil, the rocky soil, where the seed would find um, a little burrow of rock. It would grow up and come up this little sprig, and then the sun would, like, wilt it away. And then there was this one soil, which was the weeds, you know, that, that the seed fell on, and that the, it kind of choked that seed out. Um, Solomon was in that state. His heart, if you were going to, if we're going to, Look at soils of our hearts. Solomon's heart was the weedy soil. And at one point, he found the good soil. When he was a young king, there was that good, rich soil where he, he communed with God. But now he's in this backslidden state, so he's in that kind of weedy soil. And it just speaks, many of us Christians um, find ourselves in that place. It's sad. And when, we, when he, you know, he's not looking at the Lord as Lord anymore, he's looking, this is God. He's referring to him as God, but not Lord. A lot of us Christians do that, believe it or not. There was a point in my backslidden state where Jesus was my Savior. He saved me from my sins, but he wasn't Lord of my life. He wasn't, he wasn't the one ruling and reigning in my life. Some of you might be here tonight in that same predicament. You might be here and going, God, God isn't ruling and reigning in me. It's, it's, it's not. He's just God. He's my Savior. And so if you're here tonight, um, I'm going to pray that, that for 2017, you make Jesus not just your Savior, but make him your Lord. Someone you will follow and, and, and go after. And so that's my hope and dream for tonight, that we do that. Again, this book is poetry, and poetry is to be heartfelt. You're to feel that when you read poetry, you're supposed to feel something in your heart and emotionally. It's not like a theological book like Romans or Hebrews. It is, it's a heartfelt book, and we're going to look at how we're going to see Solomon's feelings kind of out on the page, kind of this journal and, and what he's doing. Um, Again, he was the richest, the wisest, wealthiest king that ever lived. Um, amazing. Now, let's look at um, that first verse. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Ecclesiastes means, as I mentioned, assembly or congregation. Um, but we have the preacher, which is Solomon. He is doing the calling or proclamation. And it also can mean debater or philosopher. So he can take on that role as debater, philosopher. And I think in this poem, in this piece of poetry, he, he comes off more as a philosopher. And we're going to see philosophy um, coming through. 
He says, vanities of vanity, says the preacher, vanities of vanity, all is vanity. All over again, again, we see that word vanity. And vanity really means vanishing. Um, it's kind of like soap bubbles. You guys ever do the dishes and your soap bubbles come up and or you take a bath and you have all the soap bubbles and then all of a sudden they just start vanishing. They start like, it's kind of like that. It's that idea, vanity. Um, it, it, it comes up empty. Uh, they appear and then they pop out of sight. And so um, you've heard that term, don't burst my bubble, right? Don't burst my bubble. Basically, don't mess with my state of existence is what we're saying by that. Because I'm content to seeking out my own vain search for life. So vanity, uh, and and most people when they say don't pop my bubble, because they have some type of bubble that they've created, um, some kind kind of existence. Solomon was in this state of mind. There's this, there's this philosophy called existentialism. Have you guys ever heard of that, existentialism? It's kind of this humanistic way of looking at life. It's a way that you create your own reality. So if I'm an existentialist, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create something. Uh, I'm going to create my own reality from, from, from my life. And it's very shallow. It's the ultimate worship of self. There was this guy named Soren Kierkegaard who was a liberal Christian theologian who founded this philosophy. And he went way, you know, he started out as a pretty decent guy and then he just kind of went off track and he followed this philosophy is that I can create my own existence. And some non-Christian thinkers uh, jumped off his writings like Albert Camus, and Jean-Claude Sartre, you guys have heard of that. And um, Camus wrote this book called Nausea, that, that life is, is, is nausea. You know? And it's, it's again, this, this kind of dark writing. And then Jean-Claude Sartre, uh, at the end of his writing, says, life is a bad joke. Can you imagine being in that state of mind where that you think life is a bad joke? You think that... These things, this is the state of mind that Solomon was in. You know, and, and I, I talked about that beak, beaknik, you know, that generation picked up on this philosophy. It's where you have the beat generation. You have Jack Kerriak, who who's kind of the founder of that movement, um, where he, it just, it, it, it ended up to be pseudo, um, you had the pseudo intellectualism, you had drug use with that, you had, all kinds of just weird things. And then that kind of transformed into the hippie movement. Remember that? And then from the hippie movement, it transformed into um, kind of that, you know, 80s. Uh, and, and then and those people became professors in universities and it got into the universities. And it's the thinking that we have even today. You see this prevalent in the, even in the young generation. This thing is making a comeback where... People are saying, you know, I can, I can create who I am. I'm going to make my own existence. And that's where you get that, that root word. Um, you could say Solomon was the original existentialist philosopher. You can say that he, he could start, you could have that argument and say he started that. The one thing about Solomon has on any of these guys, though, is that Solomon 
was privileged to experience all things to the maximum. Like he could experience so many things that it would blow your mind. He had enough wealth. He had enough resources. He could do anything. And the key to that is that when you are living that type of lifestyle, um, and that is something actually God gave him. And so God uses Solomon. We're going to see this. God uses Solomon as this kind of, as this example of here's what I'm going to do with somebody, and even a believer that can take this, if you give them enough money and you give them enough wealth and enough resources, where is it going to take them? And so God uses his life to do that. And here's the thing for us, you guys. I think it helps us understand our world today. I think there are people that you work with. I think there are people that you go to school with. I think there are people that are your neighbors, uh, business associates and partners that believe this. Am I correct? Or do you live with, do you see people like this that, that hey, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, I'm, I'm creating my own world and they're completely void of God and there's no, absolutely God is absent from the picture. And I think that we will be able to glean from Solomon's life a little bit about these people. It's, there's this thing called the Solomon Syndrome. Have you heard of that? A lot of the celebrities, uh, big sports people have this. Uh, everyone know about Carrie Fisher, remember? Princess Leia? Carrie Fisher, she just passed away. It's kind of a sad life, right? She gets this big notoriety as being Princess Leia, and then she's, just, and then she's living in the shadows of her mom, uh, Debbie Reynolds. And, and it's, again, just chasing and Solomon uses this cool term called grasping at the wind. It's just, it's what it is, is like frustration. And a lot of the celebrities, and they discover that it's empty. It's a big ripoff. Um, life is toilsome in Solomon's view, and it's laborious under the sun. And here we're going to look at, here, here's verse 3. Check this out. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes. You know, he's just saying people cycle in and out of life. You know, it's just about a parade of coffins and cradles going from one thing to the next. But then he says, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. As a surfer, we hate that. We don't like unpredictable winds. It just ruins the surf. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. And so Solomon is just lamenting over the monotony of the cycles of life. He says, the sun, the wind, the rivers. He says, even the earth, earth cycles, um, this is vanity. This is worthless uh, in his mind. And, and this is a bad perspective. I think this is a bad perspective for any of us to have, is to see uh, God's creation in a monotonous way. And you know what? I... I tend to do that. It was so cool. I, I love my daughter, Malia, because 
we get to see, our family gets to see everything through the eyes of a 13-year-old. And so we're all kind of being lazy. We take Christmas break off, and we're just all being lazy. We're, me and my wife are watching a movie in bed, and Sammy's doing his thing, and we're just having a lazy day. And Malia comes in screaming, you guys got to come see this. Check this out. And we're like, we're not moving, Malia. We're in bed. We're, we're comfortable. We're, we're not, you know, my wife's like, I'm chastising her. And, we're, and, and finally, the Lord just kind of pricked my heart and said, okay, hey, everyone, let's go, let's go look at what Malia wants to see. So she comes, she takes us to the backyard, and there's this beautiful double rainbow out there. And that's the eyes of a 13-year-old. She doesn't see that as monotonous. She, doesn't, she sees that as God's beauty. And, you know, often um, we can, you know, take that for granted. And we can miss, we can miss that type of stuff. And so she is, you know, I, lo- I love her that she, that she pointed that out, that she showed us, hey, this is, this is what it's all about. We look at um, King David, uh, Solomon's dad. He had a perspective that was so different. Psalm 19.1 and Psalm 96.11.12, he, he's declaring the glory of God. So see the difference between somebody who doesn't, is missing that God part in their life, and then you have someone like David who's just like, you know, he sees in, in all his psalms, you see pictures of God's glory. Romans 1 even tells us in Romans 1.20 that his invisible attributes are clearly seen. So we are without excuse to see these things, right? Because God buried this stuff in our hearts. He, like, he put a huge tapestry in heaven to say, here I am. Look at me, right? And what do we do? We take it for granted. We don't look at it. We get into that Solomon mindset. You know, so in 2017, let's, you know, take a step back and go, I want to see things differently. I want to have a different perspective of how I see my life, the world. Because I'm telling you, if someone in your family, God forbid, gets cancer or something terrible happens, like John's dad, you know how... I mean, it just, it, it puts things into perspective. And again, that's why we're here tonight, to just gain some perspective. It says in Colossians 1, 14 through 17, that Jesus is the creator. He says that all was spoken into existence. It says that everything was created through him and by him and for him. And so, as we see creation, we want to see Jesus in the midst of that. I think that's amazing. Verse 8, all things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. All things are full of labor. Uh, The curse upon Adam, uh, you will work at the sweat of your brow, working the ground. Adam felt that deeply. But verse 8 is such a true statement. We are never satisfied. We chase after a new movie or a new TV show we watch, the newest music. You know, you think about a guy like Solomon. He had it all at his disposal. And, and we're, our eyes are, isn't that true? Our eyes are always looking for, you know, the, the, the big shiny trinket. 
you know? Our eyes sometimes are looking at stuff that we really shouldn't be looking at. We're always looking for the new sound and music, you know, the new record, the new, you know, we, we want to see that. Um, Solomon is saying, I, I've, ha- I've had it all. I've seen it all. I've had it all. I've heard it all. And it's been at his disposal. And, and he says he's not satisfied. Um, Susie was really cool. She gave me, she says, honey, I just want one thing for Christmas. And she, so she texts me this um, coat. She just wanted a long coat, you know, that you can wear with a dress or wear with je- jeans or whatever, something very universal. So um, it was a very classic, very simple coat that went down to, her, you know, her knees. And, and I'm telling you, I went shopping. When I went shopping, it was, it was, you're laughing, Jason. It was uh, two days before Christmas when I went, you couldn't find it. I mean, there, it's everywhere. I, I, I must have seen every coat known to me. I went into 15 stores. I went into the Camarillo Outlet. Anyone been to the Camarillo Outlet uh, place at Christmas? It's gnarly. They have valet parking. The parking is so crazy. And I couldn't find the jacket there. I couldn't find I mean, like, I wanted to, like, I wanted to nail it. It was, she had one gift, and I wanted to nail it. And so... I went over to Macy's. I went over to Nordstrom. I mean, I, I, I finally found it. And you know what? And I nailed the size, too. I got the size. But guess what? It didn't quite fit right. <laughs> Bless my heart. I, and my wife and I always have this understanding. Honey, if you want to take it back, go for it. And, and she did, and, and you know what was so cool? She came back with something just way more stylish and way better than what I picked out, and it was awesome, and she, and she looked stunning in it. And so, but we do. Our heart, we don't, we're not satisfied because I'm telling you, she's going to give me another coat next year, like, because the old one will be gone, right? She'll be looking for the new style. There'll be a new, new coat. Sorry, honey, don't mean to throw you under the bus. She's back there just cringing. Verse 9, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. There's that term again. Is there anything of which it can be said, see, this is new? I had already been in ancient times before us. God, Solomon is so smart. There just, there isn't, right now he's just sunken into total acceptance that there's just nothing that is going to jazz him. There's nothing that's just going to spark him or turn his wheels. Uh, total apathy setting in here for him. But it's true. It's a true state. We are never satisfied. We chase after all this stuff. Um, you know, so funny. I look at, things that you know it says right here there are things that are that have been done and have been done in the past and it just reminds me of fads you know do you guys ever follow trends and fads you always see how they recycle they come back you know my son sammy um it's so funny he's getting you know he's in high school right now he's 17 
And I watch him walk out the door, and he's got surfer shirts on. He's got flannel. He's got a pair of Vans. He's got kind of the skinny jean look. And he's, got, he's looking like the cool kid. And I, I'm looking at it. I'm going, that's exactly what I wore when I was 17. There, nothing has changed. Then he's, and I'm yelling at him across the living room. He's got his, you know, his earbuds in his ears. You know, you, anyone have teenagers here? And you're just, you're yelling at them, and they're just, they're, and I'm like, Sammy, what are you listening to? And he's listening to a song like by Journey, you know, like songs that we used to listen to in high school, you know, like all these different 80s and 70s bands. I'm like, wow, so that music's still recycled and still used. There is nothing new under the sun, people. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's wild. I mean, even being a pastor, you... You're, you're so cool. You'll be reading your Bible, right? You'll be reading, and you'll be searching for those gold nuggets in your Bible, and you'll go, wow, that's awesome. I'm going to write that down in my journal. You know, like you've discovered the, this new nugget that no one's discovered. And then you go into a commentary by Matthew Henry, and he's, it's right there, and it's said better than the way you wrote it. I mean, that is... That's tip, right? There's nothing new under the sun. And you, and you have those moments, and they're radical. But here's the thing. Here is the thing. There may be nothing new under the S-U-N, but thankfully, the followers, followers of Jesus who are born again by his spirit don't live under the S-U-N. We live under the S-O-N. Here's some things that Jesus said that his scripture says. He says, I'll give you a new name, Revelation 2.17. He says, I'm going to put you in a new community, Ephesians 2.14. He says, I give you a new commandment, John 13.34. He says, I'm going to put you in a new covenant, Jeremiah 31 and Matthew 26. I'm going to give you a new way of living, and a new heaven, Hebrews 10. I'm going to give you a new purity, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. I'm going to give you a new nature, Ephesians 4, 24. I'm going to make you a new creation in Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. And guess what? Behold, all things become new. That is what we have in Jesus, in the S-O-N. And that, that's what's important to understand. For, check out verse 11. He says, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Isn't that funny that forgetting seems to work in both directions, in the past and the future? That we don't remember uh, the former things, that we just it, it just becomes... Our brains become mushy. We just, we forget. And we're not going to remember the things in the future, right? That are ahead of us, because we won't be around. <laughs> so they just won't be there. And so Solomon's making a statement. And it's true. Who can remember the losers of the last 10 Super Bowls? Anyone? Right? You can't even remember the winners of the last 10 Super Bowls. Who can remember the last uh, few vice presidents? 
last, let's say, last five or ten. You might be able to name one or two, but it gets fuzzy after a while. I mean, if you get to the office of vice president, you sh- don't you think you should remember that person's name? Or if you make it to the Super Bowl, wouldn't you think, oh, yeah, I, I should know who they are? We don't. We forget the former things, and we're not going to remember those things that, that come after. <clears throat> um, verse 12, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. <clears throat> what he's looking at, Solomon is looking at for answers now in the educational system. He's going, how can I get more education? I think about our kids. How many of our kids feel that way today? I have kids in school, and my kids will attest that, and you just listen to them. They go, Dad, why are we? Why am I doing this? It just seems like empty. It seems like it seems like the things that we're doing in school is just not relevant. Do any parents amen on that? You guys get that from your kids? Maybe it's just my kids. <laughs> Teresa's back there. Yeah, me too. Totally. I mean, it's they ha- they have there's this feeling where education is isn't serving them. They have this Solomon syndrome where they, it's just it's not it's not happening. Um, you know, I had a sit down talk with Zach because you know we were paying for him to go to college and. He started feeling that, you know, and he's he's a good kid, Zach. He he um he was very uh, involved in ministry here at the church, as you know, and that was where his heart was. He wanted to be doing ministry, and he's just like, Dad, why do I need to finish college? Can't I just skip that and go into go into ministry? And I, I sat him down. I said, I said, Zach, God right now has you in he certainly has you in ministry and ministry will be here for you but he has you in college and maybe there's some kids he wants you to reach maybe there's some some things that he wants to teach you in college and sure enough after the minute we had that discussion his perspective changed he saw college as an opportunity to share Jesus and I remember him uh, sharing Jesus with one of his real liberal teachers. Uh, and, 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 and they got in this big debate in class. It was heated. And, and Zach very graciously backpedaled and said, okay, hey, I, I don't want to get in an argument with you. And, and um, pulled out of that conversation very gracefully. And the teacher went and sought him out at break. And the teacher sat him down and said, well, tell me more. And he sat and Zach shared the gospel with him. So there's a reason that, you know, that we need to look at where God has us and, and what he's doing with us. And it may not make sense. It may seem futile. It may seem like vanity. It may seem like popping bubbles. But, but there's, a, there's a reason. And so... Um, continuing, verse 13, this... This is a burdensome task God has given to the sons of man. Again, he uses that word Elohim. Has given to the sons of man. He's almost kind of detached in his writing. By which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and I deed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Again, that term grasping for the wind is just frustration. 
And he, he, he says, yeah, this thing is burdensome. He says, I gave myself to education. Um, Solomon's man's wisdom can't answer the problems of life. There are too many gaps, you know, in the thinking, you know. And he's starting to think there, 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 maybe there's something bigger than man to give us answers. Um, you know, just spend a day or a week looking at the news headlines. Have you, you know what I mean? Just looking at the headlines in news and seeing the burden that is there. And again, when we watch news, it's all man's perspective, correct? That's all we see. We, we see man reporting about man. And it can get depressing. It can, get, it can lead you into despair. And again, if you don't have the SON filtering your, your, what you see and what you hear, you're going to fall into the Solomon syndrome of, of despair, of seeing everything as futile and, and not worth it. And um, it does. It leads us to grief. And, and Solomon's going to share that with us. As a pastor, I deal with a lot. I deal with death. I deal with sin. I deal with conflict. And um, can you imagine if I had no way to answer to that? Think of that as a Christian, just you as a Christian. How do you answer to those things, those burdensome things in life? We need our Bible. We need the Word of God to help us with those answers. It's, it's important because if, if we just work off our own wisdom and, and the wisdom of man, and, and it, it, it becomes completely depressing. Um, Pastor Rob shared this on Sunday a little bit, and there was um, Jack who owns the kind of the practice rink over there, at Hockey Alley. His so sad. His wife passed away just recently, and uh, Rob did the kind of he did the chapel service, and then he had me do the graveside service. And when I was at the graveside service, the mom who's from China was there. She didn't speak any English, and she was there with her family, and apparently there was this estranged relationship. It was, you know, maybe Sarah maybe had seen her mom maybe three or four times in her life, and it just was there was some difficulty there. But I've never seen a woman break down and cry at a funeral like that. I mean, it was weeping and sobbing. Like she was, she literally passed out and fainted. They had to hold her up, and for her. In her perspective, her daughter is gone into oblivion. She doesn't have, she doesn't know that Sarah was born again from the Spirit. She didn't know, she doesn't, there's no hope. You know, uh, as, as Paul says in Thessalonians, we don't grieve as those that don't have any hope. We have hope. You know, um, we have answers to all those questions of death and, and life. Oh, I like this one too. Um, verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be numbered. Skepticism sets in and frustration is sinking in with Solomon. Um, John the Baptist said this in, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Make straight. In Luke 13, Jesus heals this woman that was bent over. 18 years she's bent over and 
he said, woman, why are you bent over? He, he chased out a ton of demons that were oppressing this woman. And she stood up straight. Solomon is not seeing, he, he's saying, who can make things straight? We know the answer to that, right? Jesus. Jesus can make things straight. It also says, what is lacking cannot be numbered. Like, what is lacking? Remember um, Jesus? He's sitting with a multitude of people, sitting with 5,000 people. He's preaching. It's going all day and night. And the people are getting hungry. And Jesus says, get them some food. And the disciples are like, I, we don't know where to get food. It's miles away. And then one of the disciples does his best. He brings this little boy. He's got his happy meal with him. And Jesus prays over the happy meal. And he feeds 5,000 people. Is that awesome? He takes this little boy's lunch. And that's just a lesson to us is that whatever you have, you may have a happy meal. I don't know what you have. But if Jesus has need of it and you're willing to give it, God's going to use it. Amen? He uses a this little boy's happy meal, to, to take care of what is lacking. So Solomon, again, has, he's backslidden. He has wrong thinking. And again, we're seeing a lot of, when you read this scripture, it is poetic. You'll see a lot of wrong thinking. And God puts this in here just to get our thinking uh, back. You know, under the S-U-N, under the sun, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We absolutely can do nothing. But with the S-O-N, miracles happen. Verse 16, I commune with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart understood great wisdom and knowledge. He's declaring greatness. Uh, the queen of Sheba had come to hear his wisdom. Uh, he was world famous. Verse 17, And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Who would say that? Who would go, I, I purpose in my heart to know madness and folly. Solomon has done everything, everything under the sun, and he's going to go even go after madness and folly. I mean, that is a bad place to be. That brother is, uh, is hurting right now. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. He found frustration with that. For in much wisdom is grief. Whoa. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Whoa, tell me more about that. So the sadder, so the more you know, the sadder you'll be. Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? Doesn't it seem like that the more we know, that the more happy we should be? Well, under man's, under the S-U-N, that is true. The more you see into man, so if you look at that, existentialism that philosophy is i'm going to look inward and create my own man the uglier it gets inside you're going to see that wicked man in you and what it's not going to make you happy it's going to depress you and that's why those guys blow up commit suicide they write books called nausea they write books saying you know basically life is a joke i mean and this is where they come to this is the end of their thinking they come to this place that Solomon says is folly and madness. And so without Jesus, you, I can see people falling into that. And again, you guys, you're going to have neighbors and coworkers and stuff that just, you see that on their face. You go, so it, it helps us to understand where they're coming from. It really does. We need to understand why do they think that way? Saul, I mean, the man, and 
And they think, okay, if I was wealthy, if I was rich, if I had this wife or this husband, and if I did all these things, I would be happy. I'd be more happy. But they just end up in worse. It just gets, it gets worse and worse. Just, he says, um, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also grasping for the wind for much wisdom. There's grief, and we talk about all that. And we go through this thing of ignorance is bliss, right? So if I don't know anything, then I'm happy, <laughs> right? Um, the, the Apostle Paul said this to his letter to Timothy. He says, he said, Timothy, I'm telling you, you're going to get, you know, he, Paul's grooming this young kid, Timothy. He's going to put you in ministry. But I want to tell you something, man. The more I'm with the Lord, the more I read his word, the more I know that I am the chief of sinners. The more that, and that's going to happen to us, the more we read God's word and the more we see ourselves compared to our creator, our king, we might go, wow, man, I'm a sinner. But we don't look at that, and we shouldn't look at that as condemnation, but more of conviction. And so Paul looked at it as as more of a positive thing, saying, Lord, I, with you, Lord, I haven't arrived. You know, because man is always trying to get that, that next rung. He's trying to get that next thing. But with the Lord, we, we've, we've arrived. When we're content in Jesus, we've arrived. And then everything else beyond that is ministry for us to, to, to live out as God would see it. Let me just read. I'm going to share this one scripture with you. I'm going to try to rifle through this so we can finish on time. I love this scripture. If you want to turn there, you can. Ephesians chapter 2. If not, I'll just read it to you. Uh, Verse 4 through 10. It says, But God who is rich in mercy. I love that. Because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I love that. And raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, let anyone should boast. And here's my favorite one. I write this on everyone's birthday card. It says, for we are his workmanship. And the word workmanship in the Greek means poema. And it's where you get the root word poem. So you can say, hey, we are his poem. We are his poem or workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. And that is what he has created us for, that he has created us as his poem. And so it's a, it's a stark contrast to the poem that Solomon is telling, but that our very existence, God created us for a purpose and for, and for his good pleasure. 
I love Romans uh, 8, too. It says, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So let me see if we can rifle through chapter 2. Um, chapter 2 is kind of interesting because um, in chapter 2, we begin in chapter 2, the big folly of the I and me crisis. So we're going to go into chapter 2. Um, Solomon's going to go through this I-me crisis. He says, chapter 2, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Mirth is just kind of gaiety and songs and stuff. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity, meaning he had he had so much money, billions, and he says, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test life with pleasure. You know, I'm going to put pleasure. You know, how much, how much do you think Americans spend on pleasure? Do you think it's billions or trillions? Trillions, right? On pleasure, for sure. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with pleasure. There isn't. God created pleasure that you would enjoy the fruits of your labor. And there's nothing wrong with it. But there's everything wrong with it if you're pursuing it for your own uh, gain or for just your own satisfaction for self. So don't put that down. Uh, pleasure, pleasure is a gift from God. Um, Asaph, this is really cool, the writer of uh, Psalm 84, he says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. He's like, man, I'd, I'd forsake pleasure. and every, I'd, I'd, just, I'd rather be with you, Lord, for one day than a, than a thousand pleasures elsewhere. And um, that, that brother's got a good heart. I love that. I said to laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? Um, you guys ever, you guys ever uh, see comedians and watch comedians? You guys, everyone knows Robin Williams, right? Man, the funniest guy. I loved Robin Williams. Did great movies, did great comedy, but he committed suicide. What a, it's just so sad. You know, even laughter and comedy, it, it's, for Solomon, he says, it's nothing. And then um, there's this, there's these lyrics by, you guys, everyone listen to Smokey Robinson? Have you ever heard that song, Tears of a Clown? Tears of a Clown, he says, now, he says, um, now if there's a smile upon my face, it's only there trying to fool the public. But when it comes down to fooling you, now, honey, that's quite a different subject. Don't let my glad expression give you the wrong impression. Really, I'm sad. Oh, sadder than sad. You're gone, but I'm hurting so bad. Like a clown, I pretend to be glad. Now, there's some sad things I know to man, but it ain't too much sadder than the tears of a clown. I mean, it's a, if you've ever listened to the song, it's really kind of upbeat and happy, and you just, but this, the lyrics are sad. Solomon's like, I, I relate to that song. I know that song is, I, I li- I'm living that song. Then he says, um, I search my heart now to gratify my flesh with wine with my, while guiding my heart. He's, I don't think Solomon was a party animal. I don't think he was one of those dudes. I think he was he he genuinely was a wine sipping, pipe smoking, kind of elbow patch, you know, kind of Epicurean type dude. 
that would sit there and enjoy wine. And he's like, maybe I'm going to find pleasure in that. You know, have you guys ever heard of that wine club, Commandery du Bordeaux? You know, it's a whole Bordeaux club, and these guys get all dressed up, dressed to the nines. They look like the military, and they sit around this big table, and they try about 10 different Bordeaux. I could see Solomon sitting at that table with those guys. You know, I don't think he was a party animal. But um, he was trying to find something in that. It says, Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. You know, I think, I think alcohol is, is fine in moderation. If you just, you know, if you use it responsibly. We had our kind of our pit, our first pit meeting today with all these young pastors in training today, and we're going through the qualifications of an elder, and one of them is, hey, don't be, you know, don't be drunk with wine or be given to much wine. And, and these, guys, these guys, they right out the gate, they're like, hey, what, pastor, what does that mean? And so I just, I just said, I, I told them personally, I don't, we don't drink in our house. We, we made a covenant, Susie and I made a covenant, hey, we're just not going to do it. Um, but I, I do not condemn anyone that does it. I think, I, think, um, I think having some wine with dinner or, you know, if you're doing it in a social atmosphere and you're doing it responsibly, uh, responsibly and you're not stumbling people, I think it's totally fine. But um, I was telling these pastors, I go, if you think you're going to stumble one person, and, and I, I said, hey, just take caution, be careful. And, and you now have um, even a bigger burden to carry because if you choose to do that. But I, again, I'm not condemning that. I think, I think it's fine. It just, it's just our own experience. He says, with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what is good for the sons of men to, to do under heaven all the days of their lives. Verse 4 of chapter 2, I made my works great. I built myself houses. He was a builder, man. He was a great builder. He built this temple in seven years. He's like, I want to get that done. His dad, David, you know, gave him all the building material. He put that up. He took him 14 years to build his own house. It was magnificent. It says, I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. You know, um, he's all, maybe farming will make me happy. Um, you know, and, and God has given us that wonderful gift of creating and of, you know, the gift of uh, creativity and ingenuity. You know, he says, I made myself water pools from which the... The water, because he does all the, his farm needs water, right? So he, he creates these big, huge pools. They're in Israel today. There's three. They're amazing. These, they're called Solomon's Pools. And they're right near the West Bank, and they're, they're huge. They cascade from one to the other. It's gorgeous. They hold 75 million gallons of water. I mean, you think of all the trees that he had. He had to feed the 14,000 servants and, and family had in his house. He needed a lot of fruit and he needed a lot of produce um solomon like trump loves to build he's a building guy he he's very trumpian likes to build steve rice over here is a builder he's an amazing builder if you drive down the 101 you'll see all his work it's 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 a wonderful trade to be in i mean um and and i know steve he, he it's all for the glory of god and um so Solomon is, is, is just going, man, I'm, this is empty. This isn't making sense either. And I acquired male and female servants and had servants bo- born in my house. Yes, I had great possessions, herds and flocks. 
uh, than, than all who were in Jerusalem before me. You know, every day they had to kill uh, 30 cows to feed his servants and his family. It's like 14,000 people. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings in the provinces. Silver, like then it says in the scriptures, were like rocks. It was there everywhere. Silver had no value. It was like picking up a rock and stone. It, it, it just was everywhere. He wasn't impressed by it. He'd get exotic kingly gifts. The Queen of Sheba says he brought, brought him precious stones and camels and gold and spices. And said, I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. He had the rock in his concert, man. He had David Bowie playing. He had Bon Jovi. He had all these guys playing at his, at his parties. I mean, he, was, he did it all. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. He's claiming to be the greatest man alive. And you know what? He was. You know what? God even told him in 1 Kings chapter 3. Read that. God said, I'm going to make you a great king. He just said it. Isn't that cool about God? He, when God makes a promise, he's faithful. Even when we're faithless, he's faithful. You know, he looks past that. He even said to David, uh, King David, you know King David blew it. You know he did. But he says, you know, King David, you're a man after my own heart. God sees us differently. His perspective is so different and so radical. And, um, you know, people always ask me, how you doing, Brett? And I just honestly say, you know what, better than I deserve. I, I just, that's kind of my mindset when it comes to, like, God is just treating me so good. Verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. My heart, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Man, he says, man, I deserved it. I worked hard for this. And now his wheels are turning. You ever work hard for something and you're just like, what's going to become of this? Is this thing going to just like blow up or someone going to steal it or... You know, he's just thinking like in his mind. He's, a, someone's, he's looking to his kids. He's going, shaking his head. Do I, I have these spoiled kids? And are they, are they going to you know, take it? And, and um, here's the big difference, our perspective. How are, uh, for the kids of the king of kings, our perspective is way different. We have a, we have a, a beautiful king to look to. And our king looks to us and goes, oh, I have an inheritance for you. I have something for you that is amazing. Wait till you see it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So we look at this. and uh, Verse 11, then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity, grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Uh, he's just basically saying it did not meet my expectations, none of it. And it says, the end of the wise and the fool. When I turn to myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. Wow, now he's going to a dark place. The wise man's eyes are in his head. <laughs> I love that. But the fool walks in darkness. Better to be wise than a fool. Yet I perceived that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. 
And why was I then more wise? And then I said in my heart, this is also his vanity. So he's looking at death, staring it straight in the face. In verse 16, for there is no more remembrance of, of the wise than the fool forever, since all that now is, will be forgotten in the days to come. Both are forgotten. And how does a wise man die as fools? That's my commentary. Therefore, I hated life because the work was done under the sun and it was distressing to me for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. He's just basically saying, I, I'm hating life now. You know, that's where we get that figure of speech. Um, then I hated all my labor, which I told under the sun, because I, listen to this, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. So Solomon's thinking about recounting, like, you know, his end of, end of days, and he's not really thrilled about who's next in line. Verse 19, and, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled. And now he's starting to get kind of grumbly. You see that? Kind of frustration. In which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity, meaning I work so hard, I might give my inheritance to an idiot. He's basically saying, check this out, though. Prophetically, Rehoboam, who was the next king in Israel, guess what he did in one week of his reign? He got some bad counsel, and he tore the kingdom in two in one week. That dude was an idiot. And Solomon saw it. He's like, man, he prophetically, like, this kid, I don't know. And he's getting super bummed out here. He says, the idiot did not work for it. You know, he's just going more into depression. Um, but isn't this cool? Not for the Christian. I think of John Mank. His dad is dying. And he's like, you know what? His perspective is so different than Solomon's. His, I bet his dad, David, his dad's name is David, uh, John Ming's dad, was like, man, my son is so good. He loves Jesus. I bet he died in peace, just knowing that everything he's leaving behind is in order and is in good. And, that, and for the Christian life, that's what that's about. You know, they're, they're, that's a different perspective for sure. Verse 22, for what has man for all his labor and, and for striving of his heart in which he had toiled under the sun? For all the days are sorrowful and his work burdens him. Even in the night, his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. He had sleepless nights. You know, he had probably the best mattress, the best servants, like, you know, probably had like soft music playing. He still couldn't sleep. It didn't matter what happened. He just, and then here, verse 24, we get a flash of light. It says, nothing is better for man and that he should eat and drink, and that his soul, that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. See where this little ray of light comes into Solomon. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment more than I? He sees that there's this little perk, um, and it's a beautiful saying, you know, um, just a quick story, you see this rich man, um, he's fighting with his wife and his kids, and he's frustrated, and he goes out the house, I'm going to take a long walk, and he starts walking, and he's walking, he's peering into the window, and he sees a really poor family, and they're basically eating rice and beans, and their heads are bowed, and they're praying, and they, and they come out of the prayer, and they're just, they're happy, and the rich man's going, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's the idea. Solomon is pointing that out. 
we have a better meal waiting for us in heaven, right? Marriage Supper of the Lamb. It's a good perspective. But even in his perspective, it's kind of cynical. This is all good is if we eat and just get a job. That's what he's saying. The only ray of sunshine. Jules Abels, who wrote the Rockefeller Billions, John D. Rockefeller, did you know Mickey, he, would make, he was making a million dollars a week? And check this out. He was 100 pounds, and he couldn't even eat. Man, that's sad. That's perspective. Verse 26, for God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to close here. We've got three minutes left. You guys have been really good. Here, here are the big ideas as we close. As application for you guys is that we see perspective, revelation, and change that you, would, that you would have as you walk away just seeing Solomon, all that he went through, that you would have this perspective of my God is good. And God is wealthy, and he has, he's got all, and, and that we don't look at life um, as monotonous or empty or any of that. We can't. We have the king of kings living in us, Jesus. And um, so I just want you to, as you plan your new year out, as you plan that, just get perspective, okay? Look at the two worlds, Solomon and, and under the S-U-N and Jesus under the S-O-N. And then the other thing I want you to do is, is seek revelation as you continue the year. Lord, what do, you, what do you want to reveal to me? Be open to that. You know, I love that little ray of sunlight that comes into Solomon in the end. This is from the hand of God. Look at that. Look at your life like that. Um, you know, Solomon didn't have the regenerating, regeneration power of Jesus Christ in him. He didn't have that. We have that. So our perspective, everything in life should be should be different. Uh, as we read in Ephesians 2, our God has created us for a purpose and for meaning and to, and to live out our lives as his poem, as his poema. And as Pastor Rob alluded to on um, Sunday in Matthew 19.34, that, that we aren't to lay up treasures here on earth, but in heaven. So maybe that's part of your revelation this year, is that where am I going to put my treasure this year? You know, I love how uh, Pastor Rob really brought that home. And make Jesus, Jesus the center. Life, Jesus says, I've come to give life and life more abundantly. Remember the parable of the lost son? His dad had many riches and the kid squandered it on wasteful living. And then he came to this revelation and he, he said, it was better in my dad's house. I better go back. And you know what? I'll be a servant. And because he's eating pig slop and he's like, I bet, you know, and he comes back and his dad just welcomes with open arms and says, come in, son. His brother gets all weird about it. But, you know, that's part of what that journey and what the parable that that lost son did is he changed. He repented. He turned from his ways and he went straight towards God. So in the new year, commit your life to the S-O-N while you're under the S-U-N. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for guiding us, directing us through um, 
this passage of Scripture, I, I uh, gleaned a lot, and I pray my brothers and sisters uh, would look towards this new year, Lord, um, with your heart and mind. And, and Lord, we glean that. Uh, thank you for giving, putting Solomon through all that misery, <laughs> that we, didn't, we don't have to go through what he went through, that we uh, can see that you are a good God, that you love us, that, Lord, you have a purpose for us, and that you uh, want us to uh, live as children of the King. And so, Lord, thank you for that. And uh, bless my friends in their new year, Lord, as they pursue you, as they love you, as they dedicate their lives to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.